This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Brother David Kahns of United Lodge Number 8, Brunswick, Maine, presenting to you Volume 78, Number 10, October 2000, Temple Church, by Stuart W. Minor. Brother Minor is a past Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Virginia and has served as Grand Secretary of the Grand Lodge of D.C. He is also active in the York Rite. One of the most significant remnants of the work and workings of the ancient Templars is prominently situated in London, England, in an area between what is now Fleet Street and the North and the Victoria Embankment, which extends along the Thames to the south. Here, on holdings that formerly constituted the headquarters of the Templars in England, now stands the only surviving structure of that ancient body, the Temple Church. The church is built of imported Normandy stone, Consecrated in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary on February 10, 1185, by Heraclius, the Patriarch of Jerusalem, this church is patterned after the Church of the Holy Sepulchre at Jerusalem, a round, domed building erected over the site of the sepulchre where Jesus was buried. Within the church and around the entire perimeter is a stone bench on which the seated knights were all able to look at the center. Less than half a century after the consecration of the church, the fortunes of the Templars began to wane. The Templars had retreated from the Holy Land, following defeat by the Saracens, and the ardor of both church and state for further crusades had been largely dissipated. These developments led eventually to attacks by church and state on the Templars, and ultimately, at the instigation of Philip IV, King of France, to the abolishment of the order by the Pope. Thereafter, Edward II of England took control of the London Temple. Edward, not having an immediate need for the property, ceded it to the Order of St. John, the Hospitallers, an organization that had other London headquarters. The Hospitallers, also not having an immediate need for the property, rented it to two colleges of lawyers, subsequently known as the Inner and Middle Temples, who sought quarters near the Royal Courts of Justice. In this way, the Temple Church became the college chapel of the two societies named and the relationship thus established prevails to this day. In 1534, King Henry VIII abolished the Hospitallers, confiscated their property, and the temple once again was under the control of the crown. The principal consequence of this confiscation was the naming of the priest of the church, which Henry did personally, and in so doing he designated his choice as the master of the temple. But in his confiscation action, Henry did not disturb the tenancy of the barristers, who by the end of the 16th century had erected many fine permanent structures. In his book, Born in Blood, John Robinson makes an interesting observation about this church when the temple property was in the hands of the hospitalers. At the time of the peasants' revolt, he reports, the peasants carried the contents of the church, that is, the possessions of the hospitalers, out of the church and into the street. There they put hospitaler property to the torch. Interestingly, they did not harm the church itself, and the fact that they did not 
has caused centuries of speculation as to the true identity and purpose of the revolters. In an attempt to achieve security, the lawyers subsequently petitioned King James I for a more satisfactory arrangement, which was consummated in 1608, when the benchers, the senior barristers of the temple, purchased the property and agreed to assume responsibility for the maintenance of the temple church. Seldom has a trust been so conscientiously honored. Not only has the church been meticulously maintained, but it was carefully rebuilt after the severe damage inflicted by the German air raids during the London Blitz in May 1941. Today, it is a magnificent structure inside and out. The gate leading out of the temple onto Fleet Street and thence to the royal courts was originally known as the Barriere du Temple, which was later anglicized to become the Temple Bar. Trial lawyers, passing back and forth through this bar, became known as barristers, and they were granted the special privilege of passing through without paying the toll. Thus a young man, upon qualification to appear before the court, earned the right to pass the bar, and was a barrister. In the circular portion of the church, today's visitor is impressed by the fact that laid out on the floor are effigies of Knight Templars who are buried there. One such effigy depicts William Marshall, Earl of Pembroke, 1174-1219, a friend of King John who played a prominent role in the negotiations leading to the adoption of the Magna Carta in 1215. The effigies were placed in their present positions during the 1841 restoration of the church. The central east stained window of the church is an object of interest and beauty. It includes a depiction of the mythological flying horse Pegasus and another horse carrying two knights, designed presumably to illustrate their poverty. The latter theme is repeated in the courtyard of the church where a column, topped by a horse carrying two knights, has been erected to mark the beginning of the new millennium. In the guidebook provided to visitors at the church, one reads of two interesting battles that have taken place at this site. The first details what is in termed the Battle of the Pulpit. It seems that in 1585, the second master of the temple, Richard Alvey, died, and his deputy, one Walter Travers, was not selected to replace him. Thereafter, the newly named master, Richard Hooker, preached each Sunday morning, and in the afternoon, Travers would contradict him in his own sermon. People came to call it the Battle of the Pulpit, saying mischievously that Canterbury was preached in the morning and Geneva in the afternoon. The second battle focused on the church organ. After the Great Fire of London in 1666, the church, though undamaged, was restored by Sir Christopher Wren, and for the first time an organ was introduced into the church. Unfortunately, the two inns of court could not agree on the organ to be obtained. One society preferred an instrument built by Father Smith, while the other preferred one produced by Renatist Harris. The matter was finally settled, after much debate, by Lord Chancellor Judge Jeffreys. The judge chose the Father Smith organ, and this instrument was used in the church until the Second World War, when it was destroyed in the bombing raids that gutted the building. Since its renovation in 1954, following World War II, the church has resumed its role as the chapel and spiritual home of the inner and middle temples. Services are offered each Sunday morning, except in August and September, when the law courts are not in session. Church authorities state that on many Saturdays there are weddings of members of one of the inns, 
and children of the members are baptized on most Sundays. Hence the church, although more than 800 years old, stands not only as a monument to a long and glorious past, but also as a living and active place of worship, serving the spiritual needs of the faithful as they meet the challenges of the new millennium. This has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.